we had been raising bison since as long as I can remember as a little kid. And there was this uh, particular bison or buffalo. We use the term pretty interchangeably on the ranch. His name was Ralphie. His uh, mother had died when he was a calf. He was bottle fed. And he was very friendly. He'd let you scratch his forehead. But this buffalo loved orange soda pop. And uh, so you could crack it open and he'd come over and you hold the can and this buffalo drink right from the can, orange soda pop. And, you know, it was kind of a novelty. People come see and they'd be like, you want to see our orange orange soda loving buffalo, pet a buffalo's head. Part of me wishes that you really were about to hear a touching story about a boy and his bison. However, if you've ever listened to the show before, you know that it's probably not going to turn out like that. It was how he had died and how he had been cut mutilated that was very off-putting to all of us. I remember it feeling very odd, mysterious, uncomfortable. And there it is. On this episode of That Doesn't Happen Every Day, in which we interview everyday people about things that don't normally happen every day, we go to Carbon County in south-central Wyoming to a lonely ranch outside of Rollins to find out what happened to Ralphie in the late 1990s. It was a winter day. I was probably around 12 years old, 13 years old. That's my friend C.J. Young, who you heard earlier. I remember her uh, saying, oh, one of the buffaloes down. That's CJ's dad, Charles, who you'll hear from more. I went out there, I think my younger brother too, with my dad, my mom, and we drove out to the pasture in a pickup truck. Even as the youngs drove up to the unmoving buffalo, they noticed something weird. That all the buffalo were away from him. The reason that's odd, if one is injured or even one dies, oftentimes the other buffalo will stick around it. They'll actually surround it. They'll get real close. They'll get like almost on top of it to defend it almost. But this didn't happen with, with Ralphie. They stayed away, but they were staring. And uh, we walked up upon Ralphie's um, body. Even the dogs that came out with us were kind of hesitant in approaching the body, which is which is very strange. And normally, dog run right up and start smelling it. So we noticed immediately that there were there were cuts, and I remember the skin was almost pinkish white, and there were circles taken out of the hide and flesh at different diameters. His tongue was basically gone part of his cheek was gone you know you see part of the whole jaw structure missing not the bony structure just the soft tissue and his testicles were gone if you've ever skinned an animal or been hunting you know that there's times with your knife where you're really having to push and it's not always a clean cut right you can get some tearing you can get some jaggedness even with a sharp knife this was not that cj's dad has the unique circumstance of not only being a rancher but an md in town he weighs in on what the cuts look like. It actually looked like a laser type cut or what, or a hot a hot scalpel. It'd be like an electrocautery unit with a blade. That's just not something you see. It's something we'd never seen before on the ranch. And we'd had lots of animals die, hit by lightning, killed, you know, calves killed by coyotes. I've seen carcasses that have been left and there's tearing, there's ripping. It's real obvious, right? You 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 know it if you've grown up around animals. And, and there was no signs of struggle from the buffalo, right? It was like he fell over dead and somebody, a surgeon, went to work on him. There was no blood on the snow. There was a couple drops around his mouth, but but that was it. I mean, nothing, nothing major. How does a buffalo die like that and not create, you know, a three-foot circle pool of blood under him? I, I, I don't know how that happens. And actually called the sheriff's department to come out and look. 
People from the sheriff's department even went out within rifle range of Ralphie's body to spots where someone might have taken a shot at him, but they couldn't find evidence of anything happening in those places. Even if someone had sniped Ralphie, the lack of evidence by his body, in terms of footprints or tire tracks, is probably even more disturbing. And, and they, they couldn't find anything. They couldn't find any tracks. They couldn't find any shell casings, footprints. And car tracks on fresh snow in Wyoming are very noticeable, very easy to find. The one uh, sheriff said, he says, oh, well, his testicles are gone because the other buffalo tore it off. I've never heard that before. He said cattle will do it. I've never heard of that. And I thought, well, you know, he grew up on a ranch. And I said, well, you know, that, okay, if that's what you think, you know. But, it, I mean, it doesn't look like a surgical incision. I said, well, what about his face? He said, well, I don't know about that. You know, maybe a coyote came up. And I said, yeah, it could have been, but... Once again, this, these, this looks like surgical. By the way, if you know of bison or cattle destroying or removing the testicles of their fellow animals, please contact me. But even if this is something they do, Charles is right that they wouldn't do it with surgical precision. We had the vet come out. Uh, insanguination was, the, was what was explained. He, he essentially was bloodless, the vet told us. You don't just kill a buffalo and expect there to be no blood. There's blood everywhere. I mean, they're a big animal. It looked like somebody loaded him in the back of a trailer, killed him, mutilated him, and then dropped him on that spot because there was just no sign of a surgery or a killing or a slaying or a mutilation right there. And, and we rode that whole pasture on four-wheelers, looking around, trying to figure it out. And unless something magically teleported him somewhere else, there was no sign of a, of a death or blood on the snow anywhere else on that pasture. Even if Ralphie had been lured into a trailer, equipped to mutilate him, one that somehow didn't leave any tracks, CJ explains some of the logistical challenges at dealing with a bison after its death. When we moved dead bison, we used a backhoe with chains on the front of a backhoe. It's not like it's something that just a group of guys could lift up and put in a truck, right? That's that's not going to happen. But um, they went to a great deal of lengths to remove those parts of the bison. And why would you do that? Uh, this was not some kids that came out and killed a buffalo and wanted a buffalo tail. Not many people, I think, carry around lasers and scalpels and are that good at working in the middle of the night without setting up floodlights. And, you know, somebody would have seen it. Somebody would have woken up. And there, there was no noise. Nobody woke up that night. Nobody remembers hearing anything. And it happened overnight. He was. We saw Ralphie the day before. He was alive. He was well. He was in the pasture. And next morning, he's gone. And to know that that happens sometime in the night or early hours of the morning, you know, so close to the house where you're sleeping, I think was really unnerving to the whole family. So what are the theories? So we heard Satanists was the one we heard a lot. Uh, Rollins, apparently back in the 70s, there was like a Satanist kind of craze slash scare slash witch hunt that went on. Through the grapevine, you'd hear about animal sacrifices and odd occult practices. That was one that a lot of people jumped to immediately. And I'm like, well, unless these Satanists had a really quiet hydraulic lift truck and um, were really good at surgical skills. I'm a little skeptical of that one personally. Our neighbor had claimed that he had seen a bunch of government helicopters in the area in the days leading up to that. And he thought it was odd. He thought there were more than, than normal. Because I know some folks postulated like, oh, that helicopter landed. They pulled him in and did it and dropped him out. And I'm like, well, why, why would they do that? I, I mean, I suppose it's there's some conceivable reason, but it doesn't, sure doesn't make a lot of sense to me. 
I don't think it was a chopper. I've never seen a chopper blow that really light powder snow and, I mean, come by and not leave a trail. They're loud. You hear them from a long ways away. You hear them approaching. Oftentimes you can hear a helicopter long before you can see it. Let's just say hypothetically it was a government or a corporation or even some crazy person. It's not like you can't go buy a bison, right? Uh, you can buy one. You can slaughter them. People do it all the time for meat. And then why wouldn't you use that as your opportunity to say, I'm going to use this bison tail or tongue for whatever it is I was going to do. In a past episode I did about cattle mutilations in Wyoming's Bridger Valley in the mid-1970s, it was posited that a government group with choppers really might have been involved with picking cattle from specific locations after a chemical weapons leak at the Dugway Proving Ground in Utah. However, Ralphie's story happened more than 20 years after those mutilations, and over 180 miles further east along Interstate 80. Does the time and distance mean that the events are not connected? I really don't know. Something else weird happened with Ralphie after he died. He was out there for like three days before we moved him. I think it was three days. Uh, I don't think I get the backhoe started or something, okay? And then we finally got it and chained him up and, and moved him, but uh, nothing ate on him. That was, that's what I thought was really odd. Birds didn't come on him, uh, coyotes, and I don't know why, because that's unusual. To make things even more interesting, Charles got a strange phone call from someone he didn't know. I mean, he called me and said, uh, I'm such and such, uh, I'd talk to your to your wife, I'm working this animal mutilation. Uh, what can you tell me about it? And I said, well, you know, I repeated to him what I just told you. He was asking her all these questions. How do you even know? <laughs> you know, this animal mutilation occurred. I said, it, it happened in the morning and you're calling me in the afternoon. And he said, well, it, this kind of thing gets around really quick. It's weird that in a time before social media or widespread internet use, the word got out that fast. Charles doesn't remember the caller's name or his organization, but the man did say he studied mutilations and UFOs. Well, I don't get it. You, you study animal mutilations and you study UFOs too? And he says, what do you mean you don't get it? And I said, well, I guess maybe I never really thought about it, you know? I said, why, you think these are like UFOs or what, what do you think? He says, well, what do you think I do both of these together? He said, well, do you want... Uh, do you want to know some other people you can talk to about all this? And I said, well, you know what? No. I said, this thing happened. I don't want to really know anything more about it. You know? I said, if it happens again, that's a different ballgame. But this time, I'm just going to chalk it up to something really weird and go on. It's too weird. If this was the first time I'd ever interviewed somebody who had something weird happen to him, I'd think that Charles' response was strange. However, the more people I interview who've had weird things happen to them, the more common I find these kind of responses to be. Most people don't find their worldview horribly changed or try to make their own reality show after something weird happens. Most people seem to want to just go on with their lives and go back to what they understand and what's familiar. When you start removing all the logical explanations, whatever remains, regardless how illogical, I think that leads you to an uncomfortable place that you don't really want to go. I think as humans, we don't like having things that we don't understand or can't control. 
I'd like to thank CJ Young and Charles Young for letting me interview them about what happened, and I hope that nothing like that happens to them or their animals again. If you're listening to the show on the radio and would like to hear more episodes, please search That Doesn't Happen Every Day. Every day is two words in this case. And you can listen to every episode I've ever made completely for free. Thank you for listening. Please share the show with a friend. And I hope to have a new episode to you in about two weeks.